Good morning, good evening, and welcome, everyone. Krishna, welcome to this group. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. We probably don't need uh, uh, an intro from you because we got your long intro, but definitely, you know, maybe a 10-second quick intro about yourself would be helpful. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, namaskaram, everybody. I'm Krishna Srinivasan. I live in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and I work in Google research in machine learning and natural language processing. I'm married to Lavanya, and we have a 13-year-old son, Savit. Thank you so much for adding me to this group. Welcome aboard. And, uh, you know, the very fact that we chant this morning uh, shloka is an indication that, you know, we we have to learn from each other and not fight with each other during this group. So it's, it's, it's looking forward to enjoying the discussion with Absolutely. you as well. Thank you so much. All right. So icebreaker for today. Uh, coming from my Vishnu uh, Sahasranama uh, class last, uh, you know, last week and yesterday, uh, here's what I learned. In Vamanavatara, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, Bali Chakravarti, you know, the Onam celebration is done because of Bali Chakravarti, right? The, the people venerate Bali Chakravarti and, uh, and there's always a confusion, okay, he's a demon, why do we venerate that, that particular person? And uh, it's one of the interesting things what I learned in, in the last couple of days. So he offers three, uh, three steps to uh, uh, the Vamana, the short person who comes and asks him for the boon. And, he's, and he says, okay, take these three steps. And the first step, he uh, take, covers the entire universe. The second step, he covers the entire, uh, you know, the heavens. And then he says, there's no third step. I, I don't have place to keep my third step. And then he says, the, the Bali Chakravati says, put it on my head. Okay. And the reason is at that point of time, when he is uh, asking Vamana to put it on his, his head, he has still assumed that his head or his ego is outside of the thing that he has already covered. Okay. So Vamana has covered the entire universe and the skies, but this guy is still thinking his ego is outside of that. But the moment Vamana puts his head on him, he realizes that ego was already as part of him. And then his ego is just completely gets vanquished. And therefore, we rever that particular person in the form of Onam festival because he's the guy who realized that his ego was the one that was obstructing him from realizing Brahman. And he will be the Indra in the next one, uh, Manvantar. That is correct. That is correct. Just as Hanuman will be the next Brahma, he will be the next Indra. So we can also choose what roles we want to do, but that's a different topic. That's a long while away. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I discovered. <laughs> well, Alpna told me specifically not to desire to be any of the devtas. So I'm totally off that type of, you know, aspirations. That was a trick question by the VVP. <laughs> Jay <laughs> yeah, is saying it is very far away that when he will become Indra based upon the calculations, right? We are only in, <laughs> in the seventh 
you know midway of this manvantar so we still have a long way to go you know when the manvantar yeah. will change it would like 70 million years or something yeah yeah all right great so who wants to start off today ajay vivek i seen a lot of messages which are scanned through like this so you can so no i well, i was well, yeah. sorry go ahead vivek uh, i was kind of resonating your thoughts which were around the fact that there wasn't like a aha moment and there's probably a good reason for that yeah so i mean i'll kick off by saying i you know i felt really insufficient or in ignorant or inadequate reading this because i think you know what's the point of this chapter and then towards the end there's this uh, lovely sentence which I'll, i mean I, i wrote it down in the message but to the extent people haven't read my message um so in the seventh page um uh, so he you know uh, swami dayanand uh, actually anticipates this and he says if you've not understood this teaching is because your mind is riddled with likes and dislikes so you know uh, i could have figured out at that point <laughs> there's a bigger problem here <laughs> so so that's my input over here in this in relation to this chapter yeah so that says it all yeah so as i wrote in the group uh, responding to vivek you know is it because you know we spent quite a bit of time in satobuda uh, that you know some of it seems to be a repeat for us because that part is completely reinforced already i, I guess so at least among this team i mean you're right actually because you know like we said the structure of gita is some slide in in chapter 2 you don't understand you go through the details then once in a while he'll reinforce the same message again in a different words you still don't understand then you know he will take us to the next set saying that okay here is my next set of mantras that you need to listen to now that's how krishna has structured the entire gita i mean i was i was anticipating that the whole concept of uh, who is the i would have gotten exhausted in after the sixth chapter the first six chapters because that was kind of what the six chapters were about and that we were now going to focus more around god which is probably uh, i think the repeat is because at the end of the day the i is the god as well right but in a way you know we we kind of read it in the first six chapters and as satya said we read it like in tatvabodha and then we've heard swami sarvapyanantha ji and others kind of reinforcing it like multiple times in our mind and then yeah in some ways this was all sort of already known wisdom in a way and i tried to look up sort of some stuff on the internet and i mean the whole kind of uh, chapter seems to be or the whole sort of topic seems to be around rajavidya and rajaguyam Uh, and then it kind of at the end of it it all sort of celebrates the i as the sort of the greatest knowledge the only truth the only thing that can get you liberation and uh, sort of it, it doesn't have any limitation and and even guyam in in some ways kind of seemed like no longer a secret 
so yeah so it was a bit sort of it was anti climactic somewhat anti climactic yeah somewhat and <laughs> un- somewhat <laughs> underwhelming in a way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i like the reason that alpana gave for calling it the secret maybe you know so if that part was not as we as, as you also said that you know it's no more a secret for us but i think uh, suppose we hadn't read that book and so on so it is like a revelation actually so in the second chapter obviously uh, krishna uh, talks mm-hmm. about this but then here he actually reveals the fact that it's uh, it it is nothing but you right i mean obviously talks about brahman and then talks about uh, your your own ser- real self and then says that it's the same isn't it it was yeah. that covered in second chapter second yeah, chapter he only talks about you uh, the real you and here yeah i think that was yourself. that was the add on uh, kishore because you know the one sort of topic which is on page 105 where he talks about uh, you know this is the greatest sorry uh, you know no guys all exists in me all exists in me right uh and then he goes on to say that nothing exists in me that loop was kind of something which sort of took me some while to to close i mean in a way sort yeah. of the, there are two separate statements but when when read together they appear contradictory or you know opposite of each other in a way but if you give it a little more thought it that's kind of the, that was one sort of profound sort of thing which i i kind of was like uh, this is interesting so i wanted to ask about that how did you resolve that conflict it looked conflicting to me back to back shlokas actually yeah and i think and again uh, just others chip in but the way i looked at it was that the only reality is i right and everything else is and that's the kind of the only truth or satya mm-hmm. and uh, whatever exists is mithya so to that extent it is only a projection but that is not real to the extent that it cannot exist independent of the i so the i can exist independent of the uh, of the universe but the universe cannot exist independent of the of the i and got it okay because it is all maya it is you know while it you know while everything exists in me as in it's a projection in 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 me or the i at the end of the day there is nothing other than the i right. because and again if in a way if you link it up link it back to the i think the last chapter or the two chapters before which talked about how the i is both the material and the intelligent cause so it's all the same thing at the end of it that's how i th- i thought about it <laughs> Uh, if i may but i didn't understand that uh, second part that nothing exists in me because this universe or this maya you know does exist in in uh, let's let's say in i the param brahman right so how can it be that no, then this contradiction hasn't gone away for me yeah, yeah so so exactly the point i was kind of trying to understand myself and i think the way i understood it vp was that you know and he takes the example of the of the dream right and when the dream is over 
whatever appears in the dream nothing exists right i see so that that okay. that, that analogy is similar to sort of the real i and the mithya which is the maya while it all appears within me yes but nothing exists similarly that like will take some time to, to the, process now yeah it's similar to the Because... to the to the to, to the to the swapna thing which is the the dream which is when we come out of the dream when we are in the dream it's all there right it all sounds real or appears real but it appears that's a word whereas when you're out of it and you wake up and say oh well there's nothing So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit sort of a do loop in a way, but yeah, it, it, to me, I, I when I first read it, I was like, this doesn't make sense at all. It kind of makes some sense, and still sort of you're right. It takes some time to process. Look, look I mean, what I struggled with is, in addition, is a is what's the point of this? The so what? Well, the so what is, I think, in the first page where he's saying that. you you study so many subjects yet you don't study who you are right vivek so that was the i thought that was that was the setup to say that you go about seeking knowledge about astronomy about sciences about finance this and that uh, and you become specialized in th- those subjects but you're not really learning about yourself and 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 if you say so what why do i need to know about you because then it goes back to the introduction chapter 1 that you know ultimately we feel limited that we have we are sorrowful we are ignorant and we are fearful of death right so those are the i mean that's at least how i i i had the similar thought like so what and that's how i resolved that so what going back 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 so in a way this is consolidating the previous chapters um yeah yeah that's right because uh, that's where it all started right if you remember when we first read the chapter right where is arjuna why is it all this happening there is a confusion coming from and that's where we learned that you know this is how we behave as humans because we have the buddhi but, but, but uh, you see i mean so so what you said three p that's you know very early on there was a story about the man with the with the 10 donkeys it doesn't count the one that he's sitting on right um but to me that doesn't go to say you know there's nothing there's nothing inside me that doesn't correlate so yes i mean you know what you the point you've made about we seek knowledge about everything but our essential self how how does that correlate to there's nothing inside me so so you know that that statement that everything is within me but there's nothing inside me i i don't i, I didn't see that. i i took it to be kind of like a reinforcing of the same thing so initially he says you have to make an assumption that we think we are there so that is why he says all things exist in me and so you assume that there is at least this one thing that exists and then in the following when he contradicts or like he says the contradicting type of statement that i don't exist nobody exists in me then you realize that you don't even need to bring the word other there is only one everywhere and so initially you have to kind of because we are the seekers there is the perspective of 
there is one thing in which everything exists so there is one and everything but in the next one everything nothing exists and it kind of collapses just into one so you won't even have a second to talk about okay so, so if i if i can come in i mean the 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 way i understood this i think what is this kind of saying at the end of it all that there is only i right which is god right and so we are all gods in the true self right which is consciousness I which is consciousness which is which yeah. is consciousness the consciousness part of it of course yeah and that that's okay. the only reality rest rest of it is all sort of you know maya made up whatever right and that we, but but the fact remains that we are all living life in this made up world and it has karmas and cycle and all the other sort of stuff around artha and moksha and whatever else right uh, artha and kama and other stuff right and I, to, you know i i i had the same sort of thought which is you know where is this leading to and it kind of if you look at the end of the chapter it kind of suggests that look as as humans we just need to do what we need to do which is the karma and then kind of the one thing which sort of struck my attention was the he talks about the end about karma phala data right and that that karma phala data is the is the god or the lord right and which is the only reality and it also says very interestingly that you know it is fair it kind of says somewhere i can't remember but it says it is kind of it will do things if you do things with the right attitude it will be fair to you it will kind of you know you know and therefore kind of in a way sort of it is orienting us towards that one reality which is god that whatever is happening is because of you know at one level it's happening because of our karma but at the end of the day the karma phala data the god is what is controlling driving the universe that's how i kind of try try to connect it back to the to the core which is like we're talking about god here right and so where does god come in our day to day life as we live it and as we experience it so can i add one thing yeah um as long as we think we are this mind and body the concept of god exists so you're interchangeably using god and consciousness and that's where i think i just wanted to clarify so yeah. consciousness doesn't do anything and what it is trying to say is nothing exists other than consciousness so when krishna is saying everything exists in me then he is referring to consciousness then he is referring to as god that everything exists in me because the we read in tatva bodha the sharir of god is virat which is full universe so then everything exists in him but when he is referring to i do not exist in anybody he is referring to himself as that consciousness because in consciousness there is nothing everything is just a projection and it doesn't have an independent existence when you say something exists in me you are trying to say there are existence of two things and you were right you know your explanation was right and you also pointed to independent existence so that is what if there is no independent existence it is just i think what uh, rajesh's questions were alluding to they're just shape and name naam oh. and roop so say if you have gold and you have a necklace 
if somebody who doesn't know what a necklace is and only knows gold, that's the example he takes, right? And if you go and ask him, what is this? He'll say, this is gold. Because he doesn't know. So this is the name we've given for our transactional usage that this is necklace, but it is gold through and through. So can you say the gold exists in the necklace? You can't because gold can exist without necklace. It has an independent existence, but can necklace exist without gold? I'm talking about gold necklace. So yeah, the, each example has its own <laughs> limitations, but if you're talking just about gold, so you cannot say the ne necklace can have independent existence of without the gold, whereas gold can have existence without the necklace. And hence, gold doesn't exist in necklace. Because if gold existed in necklace, we are accepting that the necklace has an existence and gold is in it. Whereas necklace is just a name given to a particular shape. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no absolutely. I, I, I think I get that uh, as well. So, so, so here's the, I guess, the aha moment of this chapter and that Essentially, Lord Krishna is saying, keep it simple. Correct. Do your duty, don't complicate things. And, like, you know. and, and, and await the fruit. Uh, so, Which you may not like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As this body, as this mind may not like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You may not like so, it, but remember that is your own doing if you don't like it. Correct. Right, right. Yeah, so... Yeah. so it, I mean, I guess this is a sort of a pressure release from all the huge uh, sort of knowledge that's been imparted and all the workings of the wheels and the law is just saying, step back, just keep it simple. Do, do yeah. your duty. And there's a reason why everything happens. Uh, don't get too fussed about how this works. And what do you think? If you catch it that you are Brahman, you're out of it. Then you don't need to do anything. You don't need to worry about Karmphal. But if you don't catch it, then yes, this is what the reality is. If you are thinking you are mind and body, there is a karmafal, there is a God, and there is a system, there is a this thing. And I, uh, very interestingly, even Swami Sarupriyanandaji, he brings in. So we understand transient nature of things, right? The temporary nature that, you know, body comes in, we, we are born, we die, things exist, they, take, they change shape and form, etc. But the temporary nature doesn't create vairagya. We still like things. He gives an example of a cookie. It's better that it is temporary. If it was eternal, <laughs> you know, we, it wouldn't disintegrate in our mouth and we wouldn't get the taste, etc. <laughs> so, actually, the temporary nature does not create vairagya. And that is why because somebody asked, why are we trying to falsify this universe? Let it be. He said, unless you catch on to this concept of falsification, you will not get Vairagya. And I thought that was a very profound statement. As soon as we get even a little inclination towards that things are false, Vairagya will automatically come in. Right. Yeah, cool. Very good point. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I, I've, I've uh, 
I, I, you explained it in a way where you know I've experienced that, and I. Uh, but you explained it, put it in those words, uh, and it completely. And resonated. these are completely Swami Sarvapriyananda is this thing, and I thought yes, that made sense absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the attachment, the the strong bond or um, craving, kind of, uh, you know, it it goes away, or at least starts to. Um, uh, it doesn't bind you as much as uh, you realize the temporary nature of uh, everything from whether it's relationship or things or places, whatever, right? It starts to uh, lessen the hold on you, for sure. Why is that? I mean, uh, I always think about it. I think like, yeah, you know, we all understand the fact that this is imaginary, temporary, whatever, right? But we still latch on to the material world is it because most people think short term or why 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 can't we let i mean it you know it, it, it's because it, we identify ourselves the mind or body because we still think for temporarily it is real yeah. unless we get that thing of falsification we will not have full vairagya when you say falsification it's uh, jagat mithya right that concept mm. um, Right. Actually, actually, he says, so, I mean, it is part of that Mandukya Upanishad and it was quite yeah. uh, profound that, no, it doesn't exist. It is just an appearance. So there's no reality behind it. So it, when you realize that, then you will completely have that argument. Till you think it is temporary, you will still have likes and dislikes because, because you think it is temporary for that particular time it is still real so mm -hmm. i can still get you know uh, either you know my desires can be fulfilled you wouldn't have desires when it is falsified so is it not okay to say it is real but it's changing and hence what you hold on to right uh, you hold on to a person or a place a thing but even that is changing but it is real but it is continuously changing so what are you holding on to why is that? Um, uh, how do you negate that argument? Real. Kishore, that's what is called apparently real. It is not real, it's apparently real. Yeah. Because right. it appears in, in your so consciousness. He gives a very interesting explanation that only consciousness exists. And the nature of consciousness is to know. When nothing else exists, because its nature is to know, it tries to know something. If nothing exists, because its nature is to know, there is an error. And this error is creating all this. So nothing exists because, see, when we, when we are looking at a snake, uh, the, 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 the example he actually gives is the nature of the eyes is to see. Yeah? When you look at space, you want to see something or the eyes want to see something. But there's nothing to see. So the error appears and the, and the, and the uh, space or the sky looks like a bowl. And that's an error because there is no bowl. It, there is no surface. There is no light which is reflected, which is coming back to the eyes. So, so that's why he tries to, tries to explain it. He said it is one of the explanations that 
the consciousness, the nature of consciousness is to know. And because there is nothing to know, but it tries to know, so there's an error which is created. So that's another reason for why Maya. Mm. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there are two, two, two parts to it as I, I was hearing you, Alpana. One, you said the fact that everything is temporary, which is, I think, easier to understand, right? Uh, the second part was the fact that it is not real. Actually, right? it's not even temporary. That is what it's trying to say, but... Yeah, so, so if it is unreal, then temporary kind of becomes sort of irrelevant. But in a way, sort of... But the fact that it is unreal is... Yeah, that is the kind of difficulty, right? It is, yeah. As in, like, for us to, for us to kind of... Uh, Absolutely. Well, no, I actually... We accept uh, it, yeah. Well, actually, you know, I used to find it difficult, but I think the dream example works very well. And I think Utna has That's talked true. about it, Rajesh has talked about it. So I think if we change our orientation to that, that, you know, we are like the way we are, you know we are in the dream or we are watching people in the dream. Similarly, you know, the Atma is like that, which is watching all this uh, happen, right? And we, we are just not able to recognize that Atma inside us. Does that make sense? I mean, that's how I have tried to rationalize it. Actually, dream yeah. is the closest example. Yeah, yeah. Dream world is the closest example to understand it. And you will not know in the dream. See, in the dream, you can right. never know that there's a person sleeping there and I am part of the dream of that person, right? Exactly. Yeah. But again, yeah. again, this is, still, this, is still, this is still intellectual, Alpana, in the sense that you're right. I mean, the dream example is great. The fact that it is unreal is understood. Uh, all that is fine. But, and that's where sort of, uh, you know, the struggle is for me at least, which is, you know, in reality, not reality, sorry, that's not the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> right? But in sort of... In transactional system, reality, again, okay, we transactional are... Reality. Thank, you. Thank yeah. you, you know, you've got all the good words, all the, all the right words, sorry. In transactional reality, it is impossible, at least from where at least I am, to say that I'm unreal. Even or I, in I don't the dream, exist, or I'm an imagination. Even in the dream, the dream person, it is real. Everything is real. No, I, I, I get that. No, absolutely. I get that. But, you know, in the dream, we don't get it. We don't think, we think it's real, isn't it? Right. The same right. way now we think it's real. And I, I get all the kind of arguments that, you know, it, yes. is, it is unreal, right? And I think, you know, spiritually, I think we've made some progress uh, yeah. in that direction. But just that point that you made about, you know, sort of to, for us to, to accept and believe and behave as if this is real, unreal and that, you know, is, and to get the paragium is the hard part. At least I'm like far from it, or at least I'm not there. Can I, can I just comment on this? I think, uh, you know, uh, the ways that I have understood this uh, is to look at it and look at it like an example, okay? And extrapolate that extra example. So the example is like this. So, uh, you know, uh, Let's say that there is something lying down on the road and I see that like a, it's a rope which is lying down and I see that like a snake. Okay. I can also see it like a, a big, a big uh, uh, let's say, 
a thread or let's let's put it the other way around not even the thread i'll i'll say i'll see a, a, a diamond studded uh, 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 bracelet okay in the shape of that rope okay that's why there are two visions that can be possible right now in my understanding first one is i see a snake second diamond studded uh, uh, necklace in the shape of the snake now in the first case what happens to me is that i get fearful i run away from it in the second case what happens to me is that i get greedy i go towards it okay but now as soon as i go towards it when i realize that it's neither of these two things what happens to my fear what happens to my greed both of them vanish okay now how these how these how did these two coat and coat apparent realities get created where did they get created did the snake create it or uh, sorry did the rope create it on the road no it got created in my mind okay i perceived it as either a snake or a diamond studded necklace so i started running towards it or away from it depending on how my perception was but i kind of you know shake my head a little look from different angles then i figured out oh no it's neither of them then will i be ever be bothered about my likes or dislikes fears or greed or anger upset upset upsetting about what's happening there will i ever happen anything to me like that it won't that's because i suddenly developed a right vision okay of what that thing really is so the same point when you look at this entire universe okay when i say universe not the earth the universe when you look at this entire universe if you look at it at a wrong vision okay and the wrong vision is the way that our perceives it because the universe is whatever is there outside we don't know what is there we perceive only in our minds do you get the subtle difference this is a very important aspect the universe oh. what's there outside okay we have no clue what is there but what is there we perceive here or rather here okay this is a mind okay so when we perceive here our perception becomes real then we start having developing likes dislikes towards it because whatever you know our nature our vasanas and all those things come into the picture but the whole idea in the, at the end of the end of the chapter krishna says you know even if you don't understand this raja guhyam because it's a deep secret at the end of the day you got to work on neutralizing your likes and dislikes karma yoga attitude the reason is it will come to you in time that's the whole point yeah uh, so rajesh just to add to that um, i i was about to uh, say something similar which is at least in as we uh, we are where we are today i think we can understand that whatever we perceive is in our mind right i mean those things are not actually in us that's for sure right what we see is obviously light reflecting on some surface and then that's being perceived inside right and then there is something else that's looking at it so a mental picture is created based on that perception and then there is something else some other entity that's able to look at it so the eye of the eye as they call it so there is yet another observer inside of that inside of us uh, um, which is observing the uh, mental picture that's been provided or projected inside so in that sense everything else uh, including the body is is uh, um only seen as perception as a mental picture it doesn't actually physically exist 
in us, right? So no matter what it is, it can only be perceived as a, um, as a mental picture. Is, and then to, um, it's almost like if, if I were to, uh, in, in, like in this case, without consciousness, without the awareness, those mental pictures come and go because there's nobody there to actually see it at that time. So in, in many ways, it's like this. You're here, maybe there's a bird chirping outside right now, and it has entered through my ears, through my sense of hearing, and it's probably provided a, a mental picture in me, but my, my, currently my awareness is here, and hence I missed what's happened. So to me, it has not happened. Right, the bird didn't, there was no chirping, but it has actually happened. So for my personal reality is only based on my awareness at this moment, right? So for each of us, there is a personal kind of reality based on our own awareness. And that's what we perceive as, as the, uh, the actual reality. But so is there an absolute reality? There's no way to know because it's only relative to uh, the person observing it. Yeah, in other words. you make a great point, but that's the, the very fact that you said that states personal uh, reality, yeah, our personal awareness is limited. Correct. Right? Yeah. But the moment right. you understand right. the definition of Atma or Brahman, that's unlimited. That means there is something there. And that is you. The point is, where is that limitation coming from? The limitation is coming from because that Atma has been overloaded, I have not say overloaded, has been added on by some entity called as mind and body. Because of which it, see, it's, it seems apparently limited. But the moment you break that barrier off, then suddenly you become unlimited. The whole idea is exactly that. You use the right words. Think about it, okay, what you said, exactly what you said. He said, it's my personal reality. Why can't you hear the, hear the bird chirping? That's because your, the, the awareness, the awareness principle, which is shining everywhere, and that's the only thing which is there, suddenly seems to have developed a characteristic because it's got bound by this shape and form, which is called Kishore at this point of time. In my case, it is me. So I have limited vision. That's it. Right, right. So I mean, one way to look at so the application of this insight is, you know, we, we have all these fantastic tools now to probe into stuff or, or our way of thinking and extrapolating to the future. And, and this is saying, you know, come back to what you're meant to do. All that power of judgment and to, and to imagine is, is all there so that you can do your karma and, and, and deal with that. Don't worry about, you know, what the future might hold really because it's meaningless. Don't worry about what's there in the next galaxy. Uh, if you find it, great, but don't worry about it. And Vivek, actually, you know, you know I, I would I'd rather twist it a little differently, you know, finding out what's in the quote-unquote the apparent universe it's a curiosity of a person, of, of a human being, unlike any other species. We cannot stop it. But, but there is going to be that person, which all of us here, who is saying there is something else beyond this. And go back to Neo in Matrix, right? That guy felt. That guy felt. Okay, there is something else beyond this Matrix. 
And that's where the search, instead of searching for what is there in a different galaxy, you start searching for what's the basis for this entire thing. And that's when sure. you end up, end up the, you know, I'd use a wrong word here, rabbit hole of Vedanta, Gita and everything. And then finally you figure out that, okay, it's such a big rabbit hole. I'm getting confused to the whole thing. And then they introduce the concept. Okay. It's all Maya. Then it makes sense one day. Then, Oh, it doesn't make sense. Right. But finally there, yeah. there's one big thing, which I, I personally have learned uh, this thing very hard way. Okay. Here is what I learned. What I learned is that um, there is always something called as uh, apparent reality. And there's something called real reality. Okay. The real reality, like what we all, all been, have been discussing is Brahman, but apparent reality always seems so real that we forget the real reality. Okay. For, for example, you know, you, you take, uh, I don't know what's that sound. Okay. So you, 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 you take, let's say, you know, um, if, 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 uh, if, 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 say I just show my hand like this. Okay. What can you see? You'll say, I see your hand. Right. But we don't say that I see your hand because I see the light which shines on this hand. Because the light is common factor. We miss it completely. But do you see light now? If I ask you, do you see light now here? Do, or do you see my hand here? Do you see my light now? You'll say, I don't see your hand, but you never say that I don't see your light. But the light is here. That's the reality. Another very, um, Another point, uh, you know, related to the example that uh, Rajesh took about the rope and the snake. So whenever you see snake, there has to be something underlying it, which is more real than the snake. Okay. So hence, be below that, or what do you call ashrayas in English? I don't know. Adishtan. Um, there has to be Found, there has to be something on which you are seeing this, right? So now you take further down. Now, is that rope real? Then you can say, oh, rope is formed by elements. Okay, so there are elements below it. But then even elements we are saying are not real. So the elements need to have. So like that, if you go further down, what you will end is consciousness. That's another way to, to use this you know, what we are trying to do, that it is the final foundation on which everything is appearing. Like from necklace, we went to gold, right? So similarly, the entire universe, that Adishtan is consciousness. And that's where that statement, everything exists in me. Because that is the underlying reality. Well said, Alpana. And, and, and let me pivot the discussion to a second, a second part of the particular book, right? So, you know, all the while when we are talking about this, un, this awareness and consciousness, going back to Kishore, what you said, you know, I think we, we, we sometimes may end up making the mistake saying that in my awareness, this is different. In, my, in his awareness, it is different. But the moment we use those words, we have to realize that we are already limiting the particular awareness to something, Right. And uh, when we say realizing Atma, what it really means is that we have to realize 
it's a different word. Atma is a different word, which is the same thing which is used for Brahman or for consciousness or for awareness. It's the same thing. It's all across all across the entire thing, and that's the only thing. So when we when we uh, when we use those words, we have to be careful when we say that okay, we it, we I want to realize Atma. What we are saying is that I want to get rid of this limitation of this mind and body to realize that there's nothing else beyond other than consciousness. One unifying singular consciousness. So we cannot say, you know, you can, we can say my awareness, but then you have to be clear that my awareness means that consciousness, which has got no limitation, no restriction, suddenly feels restricted. Okay. Within me as a mind and body, when I, when I identify myself as mind and body. So what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the day, whether you want to go look for Atma or whether you want to look for Brahman. Okay. It's the same thing for people who find it difficult in the Gita. It's in this chapter. He says in this, when you find it initially difficult, that it is one, one thing, what you do is you put yourself in one place. You externalize that element, whatever that you want to identify in the form of a personal God or in the form of this entire universe that you see, you, you call that as Brahman and then you start understanding then over a period of time that personal god or this entire universe you collapse it within yourself you get rid of this body and mind right and then this everything will will, will go away and it's just one consciousness when i say get rid you know uh, intellectually so so one example that i heard somewhere i can't remember is around uh, mirrors right or reflecting mirrors and that you know we are all sort of small reflecting mirrors limited to our body right and that mirror is actually clouded by our likes and dislikes and all the sort of you know jealousy and all the other sort of negative attributes if you will right and that sort of makes it dirty if you will again and it stops that conscious light of consciousness to seep through the body mind complex and if we were to therefore if we are able to progressively get rid of our likes and dislikes and all the other attributes uh, that will then and then kind of in the, in the concept of obviously you know god and believing that there's a creator and because we only know a tiny portion of whatever exists perhaps that then allows you to clear the mind and be able to relate to the ultimate uh, oneness. Well, well, I suppose, uh, you know, the awareness of this awareness and consciousness leads to the attitude you need for karma yoga, right? And that's, that's how I see what Rajesh and Alpana has said so far, what Rajay, you have said, we've been saying. Absolutely, absolutely. So actually, uh, uh, Vivek, you know, what you said, you know, uh, ties pretty nicely into another part of the book, uh, what, we were, what we were discussing, right? So basically what it says is, guys, don't bother if you don't understand this. Krishna says very clearly, don't bother about it. If you want to, if you want to understand it, it'll come over time. Do karma yoga. Okay. After some time, you'll realize that you need to externalize something and you will start doing bhakti yoga. And which is actually the next segue in the next chapters. 
what Gita talks about. So this, this chapter, you know, we started off this initial discussion saying that this chapter seems to be out of place and all that. But actually, he's giving an introduction to externalize an element called as God because we can't pray for, us, pray for our own Atma or to our own Atma. That is, we find it difficult. So you externalize it. And after you externalize it over a period of time, you collapse it. And that's the spiritual path that all of us are, you know, on to find that. Yeah. Let me ask you is, is, one. Is that okay? No, go ahead, go ahead, Sakya, please. No, no. So, so context. Uh, you know, is that what uh, he means? You know, in, you know, when he talks about the Jiva Shristi and Ishvara Shristi, you know, when the God says, "I am the God," and uh, uh, we as individuals, you know, we say, I am the individual. It says one thing is common and that is I, 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 and that is a Brahman, right? But when I say, you know, I'm the individual, I think, uh, uh, you know, are, are we not referring to the, the body mind, uh, this thing? So it cannot be the same, right? So, so when the God says, I am the Lord, uh, I am the God, and uh, when you, as an when an individual says I am the individual, he says the common I that I is the common and that's the Brahman. But when uh, normally when we say that you know when we say I am the individual, you know yes I know we have to you know transcend beyond that I and mean, beyond the body mind complex and uh, you know uh, when we say I and we should actually refer to the you know the common I. But uh, normally, when we say I'm the individual, so it's it's actually actually we are referring to the body mind, right? Maybe by ignorance, but that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, uh, you can see, you know, this is such a simple quote unquote such a simple topic, but we're using so many words for so many, you know, millions of years to explain this thing because you know words are so difficult to explain that. That's the whole reality we have to understand, right? And and second thing is, uh, Sakuba, what you said. Um, See, there's always a confusion that, that happens in us when we use the word God and I and all that because we, we kind of you know, think that you know, I means different from God, right? But you know, going back to what Shanta was saying, you know, we all sound like Nityananda. Answer is, you know, the guy makes sense. Okay? But the point is people don't understand it. That's not his fault. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if, you, if, you, if you say that, okay, uh, I like this, right? then automatically you're identifying yourself, that consciousness, that, uh, that awareness, the one aware, singular awareness is identifying itself with your mind and body because you are liking something. Because that consciousness doesn't have likes and dislikes. I hate this when you use that word. Or I want to do this. Consciousness doesn't want to do anything. Okay. But when you say, I want to do this, I like this, I don't like this, I enjoy this, right? That means... It's like electricity going into a, a, a small LED bulb and shining up like a small LED and it same electricity going into a microwave oven and, and putting up mic, microwave, uh, you know, uh, rays inside. And the same thing, you know, completely going to a different thing and cooling up something. So what's happening, you know, all these three properties that are, that these the endpoints, LED or microwave or fridge are displaying are the characteristics of that particular endpoints, not the characteristics of electricity at all. 
right so whenever you know in, in our mind in mental construct the grammatical construct when we use the word i want i don't like i like then you automatically whether you like it or not that brahman okay that brahman that brahman is you but the point is the brahman has identified itself with that element okay with your mind and body with my mind and body and then transacting in this world so who's doing what you know going back to the shloka that we use for uh, you know before eating food brahmarpana brahmahavi basically it says you know in this world entirely everything is brahman the person who is eating the food is brahman the food is brahman the act of eating is food is brahman what it means is that you know guys wake up that's what it is can i uh, it just occurred to me that um, you know initially we start by identifying three which is yourself and then the world outside and then there is god right there are three different kind of entities right let's say we start there. i i think we all started there right um at some point i think we need to if we um start going down this path we start to identify uh, we start to see that you can eliminate the world because the world exists because of your consciousness or it's only appearing in your awareness so whatever you know of the world is only through the sense senses right so the sense organs bring in the right signals and then your mind creates the mental picture that's the only way to know the world right there is no other way so and who you really um Uh, there is an observer of that mental picture inside you that's been created inside you so eventually you start to see oh start identifying with that entity that is the observer of this mental picture right and hence you eliminate the world saying whatever it's the world finally this is what i am so now you've eliminated that now the second the third part is how do you now resolve god and that entity that's the observer now i can tell you that i, I was doing apraksha anubhuti and the first part of it is to get to this point right uh, get to this point of uh, i haven't done the whole thing so but this is where i i stopped because i couldn't go beyond that uh, i i couldn't go from okay i am the awareness or the observer to uh, the entity that's there in the macrocosm right so in the microcosm of my um my individual self i am able to at least see even both logically as well as experientially that there is something that is constant when everything else is changing around this constant right so um i i i could get there but then going from there to this eliminating uh or understanding this um that there is a macrocosm the same kind of an entity in the macrocosm and that is the same as me is it will eventually happen and i've uh, i've just left it at that <laughs> so um i'm wondering if that is a good way or at least I, the, uh, that's how i ended up i don't know how but that's an, uh, that's how i ended up going uh saying okay let me at least see what i can do now uh, and then let the rest happen later the connection happen later actually kushore you covered both the parts the first part is to differentiate you from the world correct that there is consciousness and then there is rest of the world and correct. the second part is that the the world exists in your consciousness so it's nothing but you so you've covered actually both the parts 
Okay. But then how, how about the third one? Come. No, macrocosm doesn't come in that one. That doesn't come in that. Okay. Interesting. Because the okay. whole world is covered, right? Because God okay. is actually just the sum yeah. total of that's yeah. it. Interesting. So Interesting. actually you cover yeah, both yeah. sides of it. So then that goes away. That you can drop that other one. Because you've covered that entire thing is your consciousness. If you reach that part, then that is done. Even that is done. See, uh, so one way to understand that, well, logically understand that, right? Experientially, we'll have to feel that, obviously. Um, but then logically, if you see, this is, uh, this is where the sense organs and the, the way uh, uh, the whole thing works. Again, purely from logic perspective, sense organs, perception, and then observer of that perception. I think, I think we all agree on that, right? We, we can kind of see that part. There is, the, whatever we know is through the sense organs and it's because of the perception. Sometimes we have the wrong perception because of which we get the wrong knowledge of anything, right? Somebody says something, we perceive it as, as being rude and hence we get the wrong knowledge when the, actual, the person actually said it the right way, right? You know, things like that. So, um, so who is that observer? Now, we see that there is, you know, we were, we were toddlers, we were youngsters and so on. There was something that was constant, right? We, the body has changed, the mind has changed, but there is something that you could still see that I was then, and I, I was in college, I, I got my first job and I came here. That was that thing that, that is something that's constant that has not changed. Why, why do we know that? Because without having something constant, you cannot see everything, whatever is relative. Um, and a good example that I saw in yet another book is that of a clock face, right? Without the clock face, you cannot see time. As the time passes, you cannot see, um, without having a clock face, something that's static, you don't know what is changing. So the fact, so now let's reverse it. The fact that we have seen something changing, we've seen our body changing, we've seen our mind changing, our intellect changing, our fact that we know more or know less now is changing, means that there must be something static. Now, what is that static? And that static has to be in me, right? And, uh, and the fact that I keep saying that I, I was here and I was there and I was a youngster and I was and so on, means that that must be the same. Whatever that static is, must be the same as I, right? And now we combine it with the logical part, which is that there is an observer of this mental construct or the mental activities that are happening. There is an observer. That doesn't seem to change, even though the mental activity keeps changing. Now, are they the same? Well, then logically you connect both of them saying, okay, whoever I connect as I, is nothing but this observer of the mental activities and they have to be the same. And let's call it consciousness, awareness, what, whatever it is, but there is that, whatever that static thing is. And so, um, and then now, okay, so this is the logical part of the understanding, but you have to experientially kind of feel that. And that can happen in meditation, right? As you go in uh, slightly deeper, you, you, you start to observe um, your own, um, well, your own breath and your sense organs, your body, you can feel your body. You can see what is happening in your mind because you're observing the thoughts. 
And then you see that, hey, there is an observer of that, right? You are able to go back and back and saying um, uh, even more, even more behind, even more behind. And finally you hit a wall saying, I cannot go anymore behind. At this point, you, you kind of feel that, yeah, there must be something. So experientially you see that too. And then you kind of marry these things together and say, hey, it's got to be this. Uh, you know, it's hard to explain as words cannot put it, but it's got to be this observer. There's no other way. Hey, can I add something here? Just to take a little diversion, right? So there are two words, uh, to, to add to your point, Kishore, uh, there are two words uh, in Vishnu Sahasranamam. I'm sorry, I keep on bringing Vishnu Sahasranamam. If it's getting boring, please tell me. I will stop. So there are two words. Okay, I don't exactly recall which one is which, but anyway, let me explain conceptually. There's a word to describe a lotus flower, right? The two words is, one word is called Aravinda. Another one is called Pundari Kaksha. Okay. So now, uh, uh, think of this way. What's the difference between Aravinda and Pundari Kaksha, right? So if I remember right, Aravinda is a uh, white lotus, okay, with red, uh, uh, you know, leaves and stem and shoot and all that, right? Now, Pundari Kaksha is, you might have seen a lotus, which is completely red, right? Now, why they use these two things in, uh, to describe uh, a, a spiritual sadhaka's journey, was beautifully explained and really liked it. I wanted to tie it to what Kishore, what you're saying, right? So apparently, when we start quote-unquote dhyana meditation, our heart is like, if you look at it, the heart is like an inverted lotus shape, okay? And that heart is Aravinda. So it's got all the blood flowing through and everything around, around it, but the lotus itself is white because the blood has not gone through that still, Okay. Uh, it's visualize, visualizing it. Please do not uh, take it literally, right? But as you keep doing dhyana over a period of time, saying that, you know, uh, on the, uh, on the uh, uh, either your Ishta Devata or, or on Brahman, you keep doing it. What happens is the blood starts glow, going into, into that particular uh, lotus and that white lotus becomes a red colored lotus. Then there's no distinction in the quality of that white color it's gone and it's now it's become red. So it comes over a period of time, progress, progression. So when you do the dhyana meditation, uh, Kishore, like what you say, you keep seeing, uh, keep progressing right at one point of time. So you think of this as an analogy, right? To explain this. So you, when I start something, I'm like a white Punda, white uh, uh, Aravinda. And as I progress in my spiritual path, I slowly get colored, 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 colored to, to such an extent that distinction between this, this heart and this entire body. That means there's nothing different. And it's so beautiful, so powerful. I really enjoyed it, actually. Thought I'll share with you guys. Yeah, yeah one... So, sorry, only thing I wanted to add was uh, the other main shloka that was quoted in the passage, Ananyas Chintayan Toma. That is a shloka that also occurs in Vishnu Sahasranama. And that also kind of gave me a nice uh, outlet. Like, even... Krishna gives a cop vote for all of us. Like even if you don't fully realize, I know you may understand it verbally, but not experientially, then do this thing. Just like keep thinking about we dedicate all your actions. So I thought that was very nicely put in the same chapter where he's telling a very big secret. But then here is also a simpler way for you to start with. So that uh, yeah. resonated with me well. The thing that Vivek started this entire GD with, right? Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, I have a question. 
um at the end you know the very last line it says tat tvam asi and that translation is that thou art and i am i am i have heard swami sarva priyananda ji say this zillion times and i am always perplexed by why is it translated as that thou art because if i if i read it as a sanskrit it just says you know it doesn't really in my mind translates as that thou art so anyone can just help me with that with that tat. phrase that is tat and okay tom is thou is what thou okay, you. you you yeah. so no but yeah. but why is it so why is it not said you and why does it say thou and why art a c is not art is it so a c is yes is yeah exactly no. so so it should be that you is but then why that, did why does it always say are. that you are yeah something like that yeah. right yeah. but yeah. then why does it say that thou art i i i it just flummoxes me that's very well english so thou Sorry? is used for singular you is used for plural when you are referring to more than one you so that's very shakespearean uh, shakespeare say shakespeare you say Thou and yeah, you. Yeah, but why? But but that's why I'm saying why. Thou is I, referring to one you, you. That means to just one no, self. Okay, fine. Why why use the word art then? The art end? is art. 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 written in more art. Yeah. So do you want that? Again, Shakespeare. Yeah. Medieval English, so, not not. Uh, but anyway, you know, I think uh, um, uh, it's 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 a poetic way of expressing it. <laughs> but I think Sanskrit is much better. Tattvamasi is much better. But yeah. uh, but but then yeah, Bibi, you know what what you what you asked is very important thing, right? So you know when when we have this illusion saying that there is somebody else called Brahman, which is different from me, and he's putting me into trouble. I'm getting into all this worldly troubles and all that. Then that then that Tattvamasi becomes very important because then you say that you know that Brahman is not anybody else. That Brahman only is you who is getting into the trouble, who is enjoying life. That's what. <laughs> That. No, no, and and that's where my confusion came from because I can understand tatvasi very easily, right? But when I read uh, that thou art, and I'm like, where is the art here? So what am I missing here? <laughs> Obviously, I didn't read Shakespeare, so I had no idea that that R is art. Yeah. But, you know, just I thought I'll so, clarify. And thank you. Maybe we don't say Shakespeare in English. <laughs> my, yeah. my guess was the art was like the connection part between you and that, like the connectionness. And I think, like in one uh, Swami Parthasarthi's version, he divides Bhagavad Gita into six chapters, and he says the first six is uh, you, the middle six is that, and then the last six is art. How you connect? and some people do it as bhakti yoga nyana yoga no, no. and uh, no, no. Yoga yeah. i i i get all that i get uh -huh. all that i was literally trying to understand that why is the literal translation of such a wonderful phrase of sanskrit is translated like that in english and <laughs> swami ji uses it zillion times as i said like yeah, and yeah. it always confuses me so i was since i saw this i i put a question mark i said let me ask in the group so but i so, i don't think i'm fully satisfied but uh, <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> VP, I mean, for everyone, since we are on the Tattvamasi topic, if you guys have not browsed through this book, an amazing classic called "I Am That" by Swami Nisargadatta Maharaj, you must, you must read it at least browse through it. Nisargadatta was, was uh, 
was a bank uh, was a mumbai based uh, i think accountant or somebody like that who lived like a grihastha like a grihastha all through his life and he was a realized soul who realized i am that and he that book is entirely about uh, q and a by people who came out to him to ask him about brahman and how he answers that such an amazing book you know if you have not even if you have not not had a chance to even look at it please 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 go and uh, Can you put that name? Can you put that name, Rajesh, on the group uh, chat? I am that. <laughs> that the name of the name of the name of the Swamiji. Yeah. Swami Nisarga Gupta. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a famous story about him that uh, you know somebody went and said, "Oh, आप तो ब्रह्म ज्ञानी हैं," and he <laughs> gets really annoyed and said, "What do you mean?" I am Brahm Gyani. I am Brahm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Swami ji, Swami Sarva Priyananda ji tells about this story all the time. So right. I, I feel like I've gotten to know this uh, Swami, this Nisarga Datta ji because of multiple quotations by Sarva Priyananda ji on him. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Sure. I had one more. I had one more silly question, Rajesh. On uh, on this first page of this chapter. Sorry, I'm this in this uh, mode right now. Swami ji says the problem of limitation being illegitimate cannot be solved by eliminating thoughts as in samadhi or by raising the kundalini or by any or by an other action so good news is that kundalini doesn't help which is what you were trying to tell me rajesh so that that got cleared but then the point i took away was that the meditation is not going to help or am i inter- misinterpreting it Actually, I was about to tell about that before, uh, you know, when uh, when uh, Kishore was saying. So that itself will not lead to it, but it's a very helpful tool. So the example Swami Sarvapriyananda ji again gives is, so he gives the example of this child who has never seen movies, and his father takes him and says, "Okay, I'll show you a movie, and there'll be a screen on which everything is projected." So he goes into the theater and watches the movie. Midway, he realizes, "Oh, where is the screen?" So now the movie is on. When when they walk in, the movie was already playing, so he didn't get a chance to see. You know, the screen usually, if there's light, you can see it. So um, then the dad tries to explain to him, "Oh, one behind that guy, you know, the the mm-hmm. actor." is the screen when he, so they keep on going oh that means behind that that room that chair whatever was lying he said no 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 behind that and then he keeps saying then the dad says oh no it's nothing then is so so he gets even more confused when there's an intermission you know that we used to have you know the lights come on and he is able to see the screen so the reason i was trying to relate the story was he says samadhi is like that intermission where the lights come on and you can see the screen clearly it is like you are stopping your mind from playing any ripples on on the screen so that state of samadhi is actually when you can see the screen right but the moment movie started you cannot see it so that's why that statement that it will not lead you to enlightenment but it will give you a hint how it looks like and then the idea is when the movie is playing you try to figure out because the movie is playing there has to be something on which the movie is playing and that is what the consciousness is so as actually kishore was trying to explain once you get into this meditation and you get a glimpse of it 
the idea is how do you relate to it when you are not in samadhi not in meditation so that itself will not you cannot say in samadhi you've seen that screen that means you are enlightened no because you have to replicate it in your you know day to day activities while you are not in samadhi mm, samadhi see. because samadhi is temporary there is a beginning and an end to the samadhi part so that itself this has to be when this this happens all the time you will only see the the screen and you'll say oh something is playing on that's fine if it plays it's fine if it doesn't play it's fine whatever right so that's why that statement that samadhi doesn't lead to directly enlightenment but vivekanand and all they have said it is a very useful teaser Sure. No, there is no, no. something like this that exists. No, so so thanks for that, Uthma, because uh, Swamiji didn't put that qualifier. So that's why I was getting confused that what we are doing is not, you know, helpful. Uh, and I know that that was wrong, but at least the literal meaning of what he wrote made me think that you know all this is not. A lot of people just stop it there; they don't go further. So then it becomes mm. more like a hindrance then. ियलिया you know intermission because unless until you understand that one understands that you can't go progress beyond beyond to the next level to really you know figure out where the problem is yeah. so even in the, even even in the so even in the step of nidhyasana you need to meditate right yeah. but, but i think in this case nidhyasana dhyan dharana samadhi yeah So in this case, I'm wondering uh, if he is talking about um, uh, uh, samadhi from the yoga perspective, um, and you know, and at that time, obviously, there were uh, th- there was a school of yoga, right? Uh, th- th- so those schools existed, which had slightly differing opinions on how to uh, how to reach enlightenment, right? They they Deferred slightly at the highest level, right? On what is what is enlightenment, and 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 even in some cases the actual reality, right? There were there were differences. So uh, um, I also read this as uh, the Vedantin Advaita Vedantin's view is slightly different, and seeing that uh, from from the yoga um, path, right? So in a way, this could also mean that. Hey, uh, yeah, the, just the yoga the path is not going to uh, take you there. Okay. You need to, because ignorance is what needs to be removed, and ignorance can be removed by knowledge. So, um, I, I also read it that way. I don't know if others did. In uh, fact, uh, uh, Ramakrishna Paramhans he says enlightenment is not complete unless you have an experience of samadhi. Yeah, <laughs> that's after having the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. you need to have to complete the experience because uh, uh, in 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 raja yoga swami vivekananda says it's it's like um, um without i mean the yoga perspective seems to be that 
you know, once you have that experience, then understanding knowledge becomes much easier because you, you kind of start to see what, they, what they're talking about in the text. Uh, but without the experience, it's kind of hard to kind of correlate because it stays purely at the intellectual level without connecting it to the experiential level because um, it, it, it's harder to absorb it or internalize it. But once the experience, a little bit of that experience is there, I think you can make progress more quickly um, uh, on, at the knowledge level as well. Right? So I, I, I feel that is a really good, it, it complements each other really well, rather than it being one or the other. Uh, that's how I see it. I mean, there is uh, value in both and it can be really well complemented. I heard two things. I mean, you said karma yoga is essential or to experience in, in your day-to-day -day life is important to get enlightenment. And then uh, Kishore, you said samadhi is also important. So which one? Think, Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Again, um, uh, going back to that example from uh, actually Paramartha Nandaji saying, you need to go from New York to California, right? Uh, to San Francisco. You need to take a taxi to the airport. And from there, you need to take the whatever train to go to the right terminal and then the flight and then back to here, right? So it's not uh, what is more, imp uh, what is, you know, it's not, you have to take all of them, right? In other words, yeah. they all kind of form a chain. Without karma yoga, without karma yoga, when there are a lot of impurities in us, it's almost impossible to get to a level of samadhi. Even yeah. glimpse of samadhi, glimpse of meditation is not possible. Let's leave alone samadhi, right? Even normal meditation is not possible unless our mind is already starting to look inward a little bit. And meditation mm -hmm. helps us go more and more inward. But to even get there, it's not uh, possible. And hence, actually, yoga, uh, yoga says yamas and niyamas. Karma yoga is uh, to me in the same category or the same level where we are purifying Action. the mind so that the mind starts to go inward a little bit. So it's like turning this huge ship, uh, making a U-turn when, when the momentum is all here and then you want to take a U-turn, you have to slow things down and then start to slowly uh, turn the other way. And that's what is happening with Karma Yoga and that's what is happening with Yamas and Niyamas. All that has to happen the 23 hours outside of meditation right? Uh, that needs to happen during the other 23 hours. And only then the one hour of yoga and meditation or whatever practice we do is even going to be possible. Right? So, uh, so, that's, so uh, that's, that's how I link it. So, so that's, that's a very cool insight uh, that, that without karma yoga, and it's written in the book earlier on, as I remember it, yeah. without karma yoga, there's no point in meditating or desiring to right. get, but then it goes to, you know, Alpana made a comment on the group chat uh, earlier this morning about the study of Gita and absorbing that message can actually make you incompetent, i.e. you don't want to do karma. You don't, you know, it's like, what's the point? So is no karma, I aspiring to do no karma at all, an alternative to doing karma? No. <laughs> So one one thing I kind of read was earlier I uh, thought too that these are all like different paths, but uh, one interpretation I got was uh, karma yoga is for your body, bhakti yoga is for your mind, and jnana yoga is for your intellect. And depending on how we kind of relate ourselves, you do different percentages of each to kind of try to go towards the same goal. 
to add on to what Kishore said. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's a fair and, point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Vivek, I think the point I was trying to make, a lot of people keep saying that, right? If I do this, I will stop working because, um, you know, is that is that what it means? So unless it is read through, you know, with from Parampara and rightly understanding the meaning, it can mislead people. That is why yeah. this, this, uh, this mm -hmm. knowledge is not for everyone. And that, that, leads <laughs> that, that is why, Vivek, you need to show up on uh, in this group. Every week. No, you're right, and and, and that's that's a nice segue into the one top, one of the questions that we did not cover so far. Right, the question is, you know, uh, think about shema, the words that uh, Krishna uses in this uh, chapter. So, you know, uh, in some sense, yoga, the word, the word yoga is used here is basically aprapthasya uh, praptihi, which is something that we don't have that you acquire. So, which is basically going back to the Purushartha, it is basically, you know, Artha and Kama, whatever is required for your needs and for your wants or for desires. That's one part of it. Then the Kshema part of it is what you already have, you solidify that, which is, which is we are already Brahman and we have to improve our understanding of it. So the question is how, you know, what's the level of conviction that each one of us have saying that if we choose the path, of saying that, okay, hey, there is someone who's going to give me my yoga kshema and let go of that huge tension that we take in our life to make something happen or, you know, uh, uh, to create something or whatever than to just live life joyfully. What's the condition that we have that this yoga kshema will be given to us? That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I had another question, not to get too off topic, but how do you, what is the definition of Samadhi? Yeah, uh, uh, that is defined in the Yoga Sutras as well, but the, that's probably a technical definition uh, scope to the, uh, it's the highest level that you reach in meditation, right? So there's Dharana, Dhyana and Samadhi. In dharana, you start to focus on one. So you bring the mind from many going here and there, scattered mind to one, right? So that's focus. A gradation of that is dhyana, where um, initially there is effort in bringing the mind back to this one thing. For a period of time, what happens is um, uh, it gradates or uh, gets into this dhyana stage where you... Uh, you are, the, the thoughts are constantly or very seamless or one or streamlined rather, I should say, streamlined one after the other. There is order, right? Um, and then the next level of gradation is where only the object exists, right? Whatever object that you chose, whether it's a mantra or something else, only that exists and you are not there, right? When you reach that level, they call that level as one type of samadhi, right? The, the lower level of samadhi. Even samadhi has multiple kind of levels, some, some pragnita samadhi and, um, and obvi obviously the, the last one is called nirvikalpa samadhi where uh, mm -hmm. both the object and you don't exist. Um, and uh, so, they, uh, so you reach the point where only, initially you reach the point where only the object exists and your, your body goes away, your 
so there there is no uh, perception of the body there is no perception of even the ego and only the the object exists so th- that stage in the meditation uh, uh, is called samadhi right great At least thank in you that technical definition so, given in the yoga mm-hmm. sutras mm-hmm. so so no, no, that, that makes listening. sense that sorry go go, go ahead Vipi. finish up no i was just i was just saying that thank, thanks uh, kishore because I have heard Swami Ji say Samadhi, I've heard Swami Ji say, so now that sort of clarifies it. So thank you. Uh, one, one, yes or no question? Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, is, uh, is, is the Gayatri Mantra, does, is it born out of this, this supreme wisdom of this uh, chapter? So what I heard uh, Swami Paramatramananda ji say on Gayatri Mantra is that Gayatri Mantra is a sort of condensed, concise form of the Vedas. And that further on the word Om is a further sort of condensation of Gayatri Mantra, Mantra into one single word. So whether it is only of what we what we discussing today or not, but Gayatri Mantra definitely, it appears, has a connection to the Vedas. One thing I can tell you how it influenced me. I, uh, we got our son's thread ceremony done only after I listened to that entire, uh, you know, uh, lecture on uh, Gayatri Mantra by Swami Parvatmananda. That's when it struck me, oh, man, there's so much of wisdom in this. I need to do this. Then me and my wife, we decided to get our son's third ceremony done. Okay, that's a... That, I mean, he, he, I've heard only a concise version of what he said. Maybe he's got a fuller uh, yeah. lecture on it, uh, Rajesh. I haven't heard that. But I found that quite fascinating. Yeah. So just coming back to your point, uh, Rajesh, about yoga and shema, I looked at it very much from a material world perspective, which is, you know, you get what you don't have and then you protect what you have or what you get. Right. But, uh, you know, just I think while you were speaking, I was thinking about it. I mean, even with the spiritual side about the knowledge or the self knowledge, you know, acquiring it is one part. But then uh, believing in it, having conviction, which is kind of uh, the shema part. That kind of sounded, uh, is that what you were kind of talking about? Or? That is correct. So basically, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the earlier discussion that we had, right, where, uh, you know, I think Alpana clarif- was clarifying what Vivek was asking about whether people will become uh, you know, lazy and not do any work and all that, right? The point is, you know, people make this mistake. And I think, uh, you know, going on a spiritual path doesn't mean letting go of what, what we normally have to do. But it's only to realize that you have to add another larger goal Okay, which should be the primary goal. And the moment you put that as a primary goal, the rest of the things will align to the other goals. Right? For example, you know, uh, if you, if you, if you, if you, let's say that, you know, we want to chase money as a goal, right? The, the point is, you know, if you chase money as a goal, only because money is an end goal by itself, then it has a certain quality to it. But the moment you ask the question, okay, why do I need this? Right? For what purpose? Then I think you're, you're starting to, starting to question but then uh, the final set of questions will come to saying, okay, I'm earning money because, you know, I need to take care of my needs. I need to take care of the needs of the entire quote unquote people around, around me and the larger context. 
then I think that meaning becomes different. And why do you have to do that? It's very clear to all of us who are following on the spiritual path. Vasudeva Kutambikam is the reason for that. People have to yeah. believe in that. When I say believe, initially when they don't understand that you are Brahman, yes, you have to believe in it, think that, okay, something is there and therefore I, I do this. But the moment you realize that everything is one and therefore, you know, somebody else's uh, sadness is going to influence me because, you know, we are all connected, then it becomes much more easier to figure out how to eliminate that. I don't know if it, if it made sense. I was just rambling away to glowing. No, not make sense. No, no, that was that made a lot of sense. In fact, I was just going to add that uh, on this belief thing, uh, Swamiji said something very nice, which resonated with me. He was talking about that you believe with a purpose. And the purpose is that the guru is trying to elevate you to his or her level so that you can understand it better, which I thought was the right way to start believing in mm. as you are on this journey. We've gotten till 7.30 a.m. my time and uh, probably coming to the end of the end of the thing. Just want to make sure that, you know, I don't want to uh, leave all of us uh, in a state where we have quote-unquote burning questions. So any, any questions still that we have to discuss here, comments, feedback that we have to do here in this session relevant to this topic? Five, four. Vivek, do you, did your question get answered or no? <laughs> I, feel, I feel superbly nourished. I came quite confused and not <laughs> expecting a whole lot from the session. So I feel very, very nourished. Thank you. But thank you for posting it, you know. <laughs> it did got me thinking. <laughs> yeah. I think the hardest thing is to ask questions. Trust me. <laughs> I know. Rajesh, your questions were really... I had to yeah, reread the chapter off. after I read your question. <laughs> yeah. I thought I had understood the chapter, Rajesh, before I read your question. And I went back <laughs> to it and there was so much more to kind of pick up in the chapter. And probably more. There is more which I still haven't grasped. So here, yeah, here but a, I couldn't find whether it was an open secret or closed secret, but Swami Sarvapriyananda keeps saying that it is an open secret. So <laughs> I thought that's the answer. <laughs> so here is a here is a you know interesting insight that I had uh, the last couple of weeks. So what I did was I followed what VP Rajesh said once in one of the sessions, right? At the beginning of the beginning of the week, he will read it. Then he'll leave it, and then probably at the last few days, he will again read the chapter. I did exactly that. I said, okay. <laughs> As, this, as soon as last Sunday's session was over, I said, I'm going to read the next chapter so that at least in, 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 the, in my mind, it kind of keep, keep mulling. I've read, read through it. Then midway, you know, I think, I think something I came up, uh, something came up and I was reading somewhere in the Gita. I said, man, I just don't even understand what I read. Then I again went back and I read, oh, there's so many questions that I don't even have answers for. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty interesting. All right. So before we, before we conclude our day, I just had a question. Okay, uh, the usual question that I have: Should we move forward to chapter fourteen in the book, or should we mull on secret that we have uh, dis discovered? Still, if we all agree that it's an open secret, we can move on. Okay, <laughs> okay. So I think we should move on. So uh, you know, I I have a suggestion for reading the next chapter. The next chapter, I quickly browse through it, but it's a little. In the book that we are following, okay. So, if you do have 
relation and the time, please pick up uh, the Gita chapter. Uh, chapter 10? Uh, yeah, chapter 10. Chapter 10. And the reason why I say that is, first of all, it's a very easy chapter. Okay, it will talk about things that we already know. It will, you know, in this, the Lord is basically, quote unquote, boasting about himself. Okay. He's saying, I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. Therefore, you are to pray to me. That's the whole essence of the chapter. Okay. So, but it's beautiful to listen to it. Okay. And uh, uh, please, you know, enjoy uh, reading the particular chapter in terms of saying that, okay, if you say that I am, uh, you know, in the, in one of the things he says, you know, I am, I am the son, he says. Basically, you know, what does it mean? You know, it would be interesting for you to observe, you know, what all he says as who he is, right? So please mm-hmm. go through the original Gita and, you know, I think, uh, I think I'll someone posted a Gita super site or something, you know, at least read some description of some of the shlokas, some of the key shlokas, which catch your attention. You'll really, really enjoy it. And if you guys are open to it, I can record my, uh, this chapter and I can post it for you guys to enjoy it. That'll be good. Yeah, that'll be good. Rajesh, do that. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. With that, uh, over to you, Alpana. Namadaha Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishate Shanti, 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 Ariyom Tatsat. Thank you all for a session, enriching and enlightening. And Very nice. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And see you. Thank you. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Bye.